welcome to episode 156 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I am Sarah. Uh, Rob will be here in just a second. I'm trying it. I'm trying it. <laughs> Um, we're, uh, we're, we, we, uh, are wrangling some kitten stuff real quick, so. Yeah, it's uh, not that bad. They're, they, they have turned into, uh, little naked kitten darters. Yeah, that, that's a pretty accurate They way see an open it. door and they, they go darting for it, so, <sighs> so real just, quick help wrangle them. Yeah, not a big problem. So, huh. Yeah. Welcome back. Take a deep breath. Yeah, I'm gonna need a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho. Hi. Uh, hi. We had some games this weekend. Oh my god, we had a big, big, uh... Big gaming week. Wall-to-wall gaming extravaganza. Well, and it, I, it wasn't intentional, but it had to happen. Yeah, it was one of those ones where, like, when, when you're when you're scheduling... I don't like scheduling two games in a weekend, because it does kind of eat the whole weekend up. Yeah. Um, it takes a lot of energy to do that. But, um... Things being what they were, one of our one of our players was uh, is mutual going, players, yeah. uh, going out of town pretty soon, so there was a bunch of scheduling and stuff like that, and yeah. Um, so and and we may not have either of our sessions for possibly over a two, month. Two, yeah, maybe maybe two months or something like that. Yeah, so, so. which is actually fine with me, um, yeah. because we're uh, we're getting to the climax of my story. And, uh, I want to be extra sweaty try hard with the terrain and the minis that I, that I have in order. Um, I had things, uh, really well set up for the, for the end of last game, um, but we didn't end up getting to the combat that was potentially going to happen. I think that's a good thing in the end. It, it is a good thing in the end. Um, yeah. but I have it, I have it set up if indeed it does go that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I've got now probably two months to get, uh, other things set up as well, so. Yeah, and it'll, it'll give me time to, build all of the stuff that I need to in my digital maps mm-hmm. and kind of flush out some of the other things that I need to. And it puts me beyond some of my work stuff. So it gives me that access. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Your work has been really busy lately. Yeah. Just... It's every six months. So yep. yeah, it's like tax season every six months, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, so, uh, that being said, I will say, uh, to, to not move on to the topic just yet, uh, your game in particular Went exceptionally well. Well, thank you, thank you, yeah. appreciate. Because uh, uh, you did a lot of hard moves in it, which, through the knowledge that we talked about, where a hard move is where the storyteller uh, doesn't necessarily totally remove agency, but pauses the scene to to make an event occur, and that yeah. is a plot related event. Yeah, it like is not the Titanic hitting the iceberg is a hard move. It's a hard event. Yeah, yeah. Hard. It's not like the the the, the uh, crew is going to see it before they hit it. Mm-hmm. It is an event that's going to occur to make things happen. Um, a lot of times, uh, like part of the apocalypse has uh, the doom clock, and they use hard moves in that uh, to help trigger those moments that occur. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, you had several of them. Some of those hard moves didn't feel like hard moves. They felt just like prog- plot progressions, which was the best part about it. But I think it was really – I think one of the things you did really well, which was expressed by one of the players, mm-hmm. uh, was that right at the beginning, before we even started, you were like, I'm going to be doing hard moves. These will be things. There will be moments where I'm like, this is happening. And then you'll say – you might, one of you might be like, well, I'd like to do this. We're like, this is a hard move, and we're just going to move through it. Yep. Yep. That little bit of primer for our group was all that was necessary. It just set proper expectations. That yeah. way nobody feels cheated, you know, yeah. when, when I'm like, yeah. oh, this, this is happening. Well, we didn't get any chance to uh, avoid that. Well, no, it's, no. sometimes you don't. 
sometimes stuff just happens, you know. Um, but yeah, no, I, uh, I thought, uh, I thought the communication with the group was really good. Um, the other, the other kind of thing that I did too was, uh, I, I had written a lot of my plot based around a really good plan that you guys had made. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, kind of pitting, pitting the two potential villains of the story against one another. Yes. Um, and I was like, I love this plan. I love that it came out of you guys organically mm-hmm. and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to write my plot around that and it's going to be a really good reveal when you guys execute that plan. And then right before my game, I was like, okay, I know we haven't played in a while. You right. guys made a really good plan. I need you to stick to that plan. <laughs> Cause I did an awful lot of writing. And none of that makes any sense if uh, if you guys don't go with the plan you made. And to be clear, it was a really good plan. Please do it. No, I I think yeah. I, I think that was also a good expectation to set. I mm-hmm. really do. I I think the whole thing went off in one of the best ways that it ever has. We had some great role playing, um, and uh, some wonderful moments that uh, I kind of want to dissect later. And I think we're gonna we're gonna talk about one of those uh, in one of our future. Uh, shows when we're trying to talk about mysteries yeah uh, yeah because i felt that it was came very clean there was almost a little murder mystery in this this, very uh, much so very much so and i think that that went really well um and another thing i'll see where it eventually fits in um is what we were talking uh what uh um heatsink actually brought up at game Mm -hmm. uh that uh that difference in player individual player to group agency where he was still able to be his character mm-hmm. within the group, which is something that was different about the way the system runs. And I think that that's there, there was a lot to be kind of dissected out of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I thought that that was really cool. So well, good. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I felt really good about it and I uh, got a lot of really great feedback from my players. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one thing I did at the end of the, at the end of this game, um, too, that I, I've talked a little bit about, but I, I, I've, uh, forgotten to implement it heavily mm-hmm. until this game was we did our roses and thorns, mm-hmm. you know, the good thing and the bad thing, um, about the game. Uh, but I added a third question and that was, what would you like to see happen next game? If it was your ideal session in your mind's eye, how does it play out? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, some of it was just, you know, we want to get the bad guy. Right. Okay, cool. But some of it was like, you know, I really want to see this character play a better, a bigger part in the mm-hmm. story or something mm-hmm. like that. I want to see this particular little subplot come to fruition. Yep. And those tell me what my players are focused on, what's mm-hmm. important to see in there. And it gave me some really great ideas, some really good, like, little story prompts. And uh I literally, on the drive home was already having great ideas of like, you know, I never would have thought to do this, but now I will. Now I will. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I actually, cause one of the things that I had brought up was, is that, uh, we had kind of lightly addressed several times the importance of, uh, one, the, one of the NPCs wives, uh, that she, that she's sick and that's, it's a, it's a, yes. a linchpin to the story. And I kept getting this image of during the fight and all of this going on, her coming to a balcony barefoot in like a white smock, like, you know, face still kind of, you know, pale from, you know, from mm. where she was at, but she's up and moving and the things that that could mean. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, was she kept sedated because they couldn't control her mm-hmm. or did she wake because of some other reason? Like all of those things going through the minds of all of the people involved beyond us and what that could the implications like there's so much story that could come out of a single moment i was like 
That'd be really cool. I want to see her involved. I want to see what you do with that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. Yep. um, I don't want her to be an afterthought, you know, that kind of a thing. Yeah, no, so. no. She's, she's definitely the, like the, the third party involved in the plot. Yeah. Um, but you haven't heard from her. No, you know, not at all. So, no, she's, and, and from a storyteller's perspective, I see so much follow up. Mm-hmm. Like, because again, you get one of those situations where you have a follow up NBC, someone who's involved, who has not been directly, in, you know, who, who's the, the third party can suddenly hand you the next thing, the next lead yeah, without yeah, yeah. even realizing, you know, you know, without them recognizing it, but that's where the plot moves to. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, those are great things. The, yeah. you, you want those moments, yeah, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, but today we have a generalized topic that kind of keeps coming back around a lot online. Yeah. Um, so the, the topic of the discussion today is, a magic item destroyed my game. I've seen this a lot online. Mm-hmm. I've seen this a lot in – in it was funny was when I ran uh, my initial search, I excluded Reddit because I had done – like Reddit had so many. Um, I did a, a Google search without it, and I actually found old forums from oh, wow. like uh, – and I say old. I mean like 90s and a little beyond that were still out there that literally this quote existed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it wasn't always magic item destroyed my game, but I saw item destroyed my game. Yeah, and I was like, "How many of these are out there? It, it, this is this is a huge problem." Yeah, yeah. And the solutions vary wildly, and the feelings vary wildly about how to handle these situations. Mm-hmm. It does tend to resolve around very tactical games. Yeah, and not yeah. the narrative ones. Not to say that they don't. Well, because um, narrative games have a lot of padding on them where power curve does not matter so much. Right, You right. know, you can give someone an, a, a phenomenal tool to, you know, fix a lot of problems in a narrative game, and narrative players in a narrative-style game will use it in a narrative way, you know. Yeah. But in a tactical game, like Dungeons & Dragons, uh, they're going to use it in a tactical way, and, you know, the game system teaches you how to play it. Mm-hmm. Narrative game systems tell you to tell a story with it. Yeah. What's fun? What's interesting? Tactical games tell you exploit every weakness for maximum efficiency. Yeah, maximize the numbers. Yes. Um, one of the one of my favorite uh, quotes about that was uh, a guy was quoting uh, a movie scene, and that was, "How do you know when the moment is desperate for uh, that the, the the moment is truly desperate for the the action hero?" In a in a contemporary movie, mm-hmm. he checks how many rounds he has left. Ooh, that's the desperation moment. You will always know the desperation, even if he's moving through looking successful. Mm-hmm. Like the moment that they check that that couple seconds, if you see that edited into a movie, there you've just hit the desperation point. That's that's a really good point. Like I never would have put two and two together, but yeah, yeah. that's when your players check their hit points. <laughs> All right, how's everybody doing? <laughs> How many spells do we have left? How many hit points do we have left? Yeah. Yep. So what are we talking about when we say a magic item? That's kind of a generic statement, but yeah. I think it covers a lot more than just magic items. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, It doesn't have to be a magic item. Um, we're not just talking about D&D here, but to keep our discussions system agnostic. So, I mean, we're talking about, you know, um, the magic sword, uh, a space laser, the Necronomicon, um, maybe even a noble title or access mm-hmm. to a powerful and sympathetic NPC. Something that can be exploited to quickly and easily solve a number of problems. So, I guess the real question is, is 
why do we need to have a magic item? Like, what what's the need to set this in motion? What what puts it out there? Well, I mean, I think it's it's a it's a, it's a lot of different things. Um, we we play we play games to for for an escapist power fantasy primarily. Okay, you know? I agree I mean, with there, that. There's 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 a lot of different reasons we play games and stuff like that, but we want these awesome moments where we in our character shoes have you know have, have can can do awesome power fantasy stuff. You know, right, right, and so. As storytellers, we want to facilitate those moments for our players. I All think. right, I'm fair with that. Um, so for me, I like giving out you know special tools and stuff like that for characters that will um, enhance what they're trying to go for with their character to make their to, to further their story, mm-hmm. but also make them feel more powerful in whatever role that they're trying to play in the group. You know? Yeah. I I want them to feel awesome. I'm I want to be a fan of my players. I agree with that. And I think I, I feel like magic items are are one of the easiest and quickest ways to do that. That's fair. I think for me it kind of falls slightly different because I kind of see like when the players are getting magic items, or at least it used to be in my head that they, they were you know stock things that the game generated. Like they were just better loot. That's all it was. You know, if I'm playing Borderlands or one of those games and a box of loot falls apart, you know, some of that may be rare. There's a percentage chance of that kind of a thing, and. Mm-hmm. So that's where where most of the magic items fall in. But like when I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about something significant that I'm giving them that is related to plot mm-hmm. or is related to helping with that uh, engagement with the plot. Yeah, sure. sure. Um, like you did a fine job of that with uh, uh, in our Tamriel game by giving us a bag of holding effectively mm-hmm. um, that solved problems. Um, so. I think there is a a key difference that sits between us here that we that where we're applying those magic items. Mm-hmm. There's a certain sense of how what their intent was and how they end up getting used. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's where the breakdown between this what the storyteller believes and what the player presents in the end. Yeah. You yeah, know, you absolutely. you can do things with it, but like D&D, like you said, is about rewards. We want that. We want that to be there. And there's an expectation that it doesn't go beyond that point. Like when someone goes to a store and they're like, oh, can I get a plus one sword? There's kind of an intent that you're going to use the plus one sword to cut things apart. Yeah, that's, yeah, sure. That's, absolutely. That's pretty straightforward. And that kind of, you know, whether or not you present that within, you know, mm-hmm. a magical box or the players, you know, get a bunch of gold and they're going to go make something or build something. Yeah. You know, there's that point. Where you're okay with it. Even if they're crafting something or asking for something to be crafted, there's an intent there um, of how it's going to be used. I think that the stage where we start handing things to players that they're not asking for is where we start losing that line between how it's intended to be used mm-hmm. and what they're going to use it for. Um and, and there's a lot of places where in movies this happens and in books where players are handed things. Oh, sure. No, and I, I think that's really where uh, a lot of this stuff goes off the rails for us storytellers, honestly. Okay. Because, um, you know, we, we did an entire episode, one of our Storyteller 101s, on where we draw our inspiration from, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was, all, it was all stories, books, movies, yeah. TV shows, all you know, the all these things. Um but the, the the thing is though is that when we're pulling inspiration from those and we want we want our stories to play out like them 
Yeah. Because this is really cool, high-budget cinematic media. Yeah. Right? Fro- you know, Frodo getting the chainmail or Bilbo getting, you know, Sting. Sure, you know, things sure. Things like that. I mean, a- any, any, any media whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to, we want to emulate these awesome high-budget Hollywood productions and stuff like that. In our mind's eye, that's how we see it all happening. The difference is, though, is that all of these stories that we are drawing inspiration from are scripted. Yes. Right? One person sat down and wrote how this story plays out and how the characters use that item. Yeah. So you mentioned, like, uh, Frodo getting, you know, uh, Frodo and Sam getting, like, their color change cloaks, you know? Yeah, yeah, the disguise cloaks, yeah. Right. So J.R.R. Tolkien sat down and wrote that. Mm -hmm. He said, this is a Chekhov's gun. I'm going to give him an Act 1. And then in Act 3, they're going to need to hide from a bunch of soldiers and mm-hmm. whoop, they turn into rocks. They turn invisible. Mm-hmm. And then – and that's cool. We, yeah. we we saw the Chekhov gun get given to them and we yeah. saw it go off in the third act. Mm-hmm. Boom. Perfect. Okay. The problem is is that you can't do that in a tabletop role-playing game. Right. Because when you give – color change invis you know when you give on demand invisibility mm-hmm. to your players they don't go oh this is a neat Chekhov's gun i will wait into the third act to use it once tactically right they go you mean i can turn invisible whenever i want mhm and guess what happens yeah yeah and then it, you go, oh, no, I saw yeah. this happening a lot more cinematically. Yeah. Oh, there's these eagles that are going to save people, mm-hmm. you know, because we, we have a good relationship with them. Hey, can, can we just fly those to Mordor instead of, you know, walking? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, it works in Lord of the Rings, but, like, if you put those eagles, you know, oh, yeah, you can summon eagles and they, they can carry you off the sink. Cool. What else can they carry? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. 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 <laughs> You know, and but it's all those types of things that fit into the ridiculousness of what a novel or a movie can do. And even we even say that it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, we recognize that. Well, yeah, the the giant eagles have become have become like the, probably the biggest Lord of the Rings in joke. You know. Yeah, it's it's true. It's a, it's true. It's true. That and uh, did you know that when he kicked the helmet, he actually <laughs> broke his toe? Yeah, yeah, very true. Very uh, true. But you know, like a lot of this discussion reminds me of um, the rule of cool. Uh, discussions that go on as well. Yeah. Where they're not so much about magic items, but about, like, when you rule of cool something, like, uh, the monk wants to jump off the top of, like, a balcony or something like that, and yeah. land on top of somebody and punch them on the way down, and you're like, okay, yeah, cool, since you're landing on top of them and attacking from above, I'll give you advantage on the roll. Yeah. In their minds, then, they, they don't hear, that's rule of cool, that's a one-off. Right. They hear, oh, if I'm dropping from above, I get advantage. Yeah. And then the next seven fights, they're like, oh, I'm going to jump up on this, and then I'm going to come down on top of them. Do I get advantage? Yeah. Or I, I get advantage, so I'm going to roll. I, they, they don't even say it. They just yeah, I'm going to roll I, with advantage. I get advantage because I'm coming down on top of them, and you're like, oh, no, that's not how that works. Well, yeah. it did in that one fight. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. It, it, a lot of, especially, especially in tactical games. Yeah. That ends up happening. And when you give them a magic item where it's like, you know, oh, yeah, this thing can on demand turn you invisible, or you've got these giant eagles that can carry things mm-hmm. for you. Well, then, then they start, they start playing with it. They start exploring the possibilities. Yeah, it was funny because we just had the the Lord of the, uh, or was it uh, the One Ring? Uh huh. Yeah. So the question came up, but but then again, aren't isn't Lord of the Rings a role playing game? Aren't items like that omitted? Uh, the answer is no. Uh, they do exist in it. They're just very rare and individual, yep. and have a cost. Yeah. So yeah. have uh, a cost, it, or have or have some narrow circumstances under which you can use them. Correct. Um. 
Actually, I think there's a spirit cost for making that happen. Oh, it's, it's, yeah. yeah, it's still a check. Um, but the whole idea is, is that it, it is it is a cost, and because of that cost difference, it makes a significant difference. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but not only that, they're they're exceptionally rare. They're not something that happens, and they're they're a narrative choice for the player to get. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. You gotta you gotta take your choices about when you get things. Yeah. Um. So, all right. So let's talk a little bit about like how these things come into play. Like what. By what machinations does a, a storyteller or a story present these between the storyteller and the players? These overpowered items seeping into the story. Yeah, sto- yeah. yeah overpowered items, NPCs, whatever, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, well, first and foremost, right. uh, I mean, if we're, if we're going right back to our roots, mm-hmm. the old dungeon crawling, you know, for treasure thing, uh, honestly, random treasure tables. Yes. You roll those, you roll those double lots on a, uh, on a random treasure table and suddenly a holy avenger lands in the lap of the, of, of the yep. party yeah. at level five. Yeah. And boots of striding, you know, all, all kinds of ridiculous things can pop out of that. Mm-hmm. A rare magical item or a legendary item. Yeah. You know, yeah. Are, if, are still possible. And I mean, there's a lot of schools of thought too where, um, you know, especially like you look at like OSR games, um, or you know your older school Dungeons and Dragons players who don't lean into the narrative stuff as much as we do, mm-hmm. and don't think about structuring their story as much as they do, mm-hmm. as much as we do. Um, and again, that's not a negative; that's mm-hmm. just a stylistic choice. Yeah. There's a lot of people who play D and D, and they love the random tables. They love the chaos of it all. Mm-hmm. Of like, we sit down at the table, and anything could happen. Right. And that's the excitement of the game for them. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um. And there are people who look at those random loot tables and think, like, man, if a Holy Avenger rolled up on there, wouldn't that be awesome? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, sure, at, at certain tables, I'm sure it is. At certain other tables, though, that can really tilt your game, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, and, and finding that line of, is that part of the story, kind of makes or breaks whether or not it is an overpowered item. Yeah, yeah, it really does. So It really does. Yeah. Um... I think necessity is a thing, yep. and I think that necessity can come out of a couple of different directions. Um, you know, it, I would say that sometimes necessity comes from the story side. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I don't need my players literally after every game asking if there's a tavern or or someplace that they can at least get a decent rest in. I'm going to hand them an item that uh, creates, you know, Leoman's Hut. For mm-hmm. them, so th- so that they can just we can continue going across my barren wasteland without them constantly having to do an hour worth of physical at table time doing checks to see if their area is safe because mm-hmm. that's that's we're beyond that point. Like they're you know tenth level characters, it's fine. Yeah, 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 and it it doesn't it, it comes out of necessity. Mm-hmm. Yep, and, and now you've given them an on demand ten foot safe space. That they can put anywhere. Correct. And they start using it to barricade hallways. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. They ride a dragon and slap it on its head. Right. You know, things like that. And yep. suddenly now it's, oh, great. Now it's an impervious structure, effectively, that can crush and topple whole, you know, worlds. Yep. 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 Um, uh, I would say there's, there's, there's an, uh, aspect of like, you know, trying to bring them in as a curse. Oh, cursed items. Okay. Uh, cursed okay. items. Um, uh, you brought up, uh, the list. Percy's gun from Vox Machina and Critical Role. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of, I want to say, carried in, uh, as far as the the anime was concerned, animation was concerned of the the reason, it it seemed like it was presented with the character, not so much handed, 
because of something. But I think that that's an appropriate way that it can come in, that they come in cursed. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I often wonder, like, bringing a group like I, I feel like games work all the characters come in with a curse of some kind is always a neat concept but at the same time like what if what if the player character of percy just decided not to kill that last person and keep their super uber powerful gun i actually know the answer to that there you go i actually know the in-game answer to that <laughs> yeah for for me it is um bring uh, curse items are are one of those like um you got to be really careful with them because mm-hmm. oftentimes our mentality is it does something really awesome, but it's cursed, so it also comes with a with a a detractor, right? It comes with a cost. Like every time you do this, uh, you know, every time you 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 kill a a a, a demon, mm-hmm. an innocent peasant dies. Yeah. Well, cool, but I still get to slay demons with it. Yeah. Awesome. Like, needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Imagine how many innocent peasants that demon would kill. Eh, we'll go resurrect him. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. Um, if, if, if your, your players will immediately look at ways to mitigate the cost. Yes. And if you haven't taken all those amazingly creative player moves into, mm-hmm. uh, into, into, uh, account when you give them this item, you sit there wringing your hands like the evil mastermind that you are going, ha 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 ha, this will be a huge moral dilemma for them. It will do this awesome thing, but they will have to make the decision to whether or not they will suffer the awful cost. And they go, actually, it's not that awful of a cost. We can just do this, this, and this and mitigate it completely. Yeah. Oh. Oh yeah, I did give you those other things, didn't I? Or, or not even that. They, they're already just a step ahead because they're comfortable with doing that. The, pl- the player is yep. comfortable with doing that. Yep. We're still thinking from the character side. Yep. And I think that's the thing. Yep. And and I think that's where the rule of cool comes into play as well, with where you might present them with something that they can do that's just adjacent to the rules mm-hmm. or a sidestep of part of the rules, and then suddenly the math now is in the favor of the player. Yeah. Regardless of if the character is aware, is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. It is the player and who is ultimately handling the tactics behind everything, and they're going to drive in that direction. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So, um, uh, confiscated talk- stuff. Yeah. <laughs> this this one this one is the bane of my existence, man. Yeah. Because you want to give your your BBEG, your big bad evil guy, or or even just his lieutenants, mm-hmm. you know, you want to give them cool equipment that that is like defining to them, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you remember Saradwin, the uh, the leader of the Voiceless Ones, is that yeah, the, a, a wood elf who was a band, a leader of a band of assassins. Yep, yep. that was one of the bandit groups that was out in uh, in the highlands. Mm-hmm. Um, she had this amazing bow that had like. 30 feet range or something like that. Like mm-hmm. the, the range was like super low, but it like tripled the damage mm-hmm. in within that range. Right. You could not snipe with it whatsoever, but it was a magnum up close. Yeah. Um, and I, I love that weapon, but every single time I was writing, like I was writing my characters and I'm going like, Oh, what if they had the, <sighs> no, no, I can't give them that because what if they just kill the character? Mm-hmm. Then I, Every time, everything I put in the hands of an, of a big bad evil guy, I have to think this is going to end up in the hands of the party. Correct. Correct. You know? And that you always have to consider that because it's in their mind frame. Oh, yeah. They're going to yeah. look at that and go, cool, I want to kill this person and take their treasure. Yep. Yep. 
you know, or or not even like, oh, you can't remove, you, you can't take that from them. It's it's you know, grafted their body. Right, we'll figure that out later. Uh, I lost shove, the handoff. Let's go. Yeah, shove his hand into the uh, uh, into the bag of holding and lob it off at the wrist. We'll figure it out later. Yep. Yep. And and now it's there. You will absolutely watch players do that. Yep. Yes. And then you'll see the you know the 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 barbarian reach into the bag, pull out the dude's hand and wield the hand with the weapon. Mhm. You know, or uh if we if we want to go back to ancient Greece, you know, pulling Medusa's head out of the bag to oh, kill yeah. the gorgon. Yeah. Yeah, same thing. Same I mean, thing. that's codified in in ancient lore right, that's right. there, you know. That's right. But it was ancient pretty cool. But it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Um but I think that's – I think that leads to the one thing that I kind of uh, always gets me is is that the quality of life concept. Yeah. Whether or not you're doing it from the story side or from the player's side, you know, maybe you're just eliminating things. Uh, one of the ones that is a, a good example in my head that happens in stories is uh, giving them the ability to travel at a certain point. Mm-hmm. To take – you know, you don't have to ride everywhere. Yeah. You know, oh, look. In Final Fantasy, Sid shows up with his airship. Now you have an airship to now go around Now you have an airship, in. yep. Why? Because we're sick and tired of you having to go through every inch of the map, which means we have to make every inch of the map. You uh-huh. know, now we can't, don't have to do that. But now they have an airship, and they can literally go anywhere. Yeah. Crap. Yeah. You know, there's that whole edge of it. And, you know, or... Mm-hmm. The uh, the one thing that I brought up that we we went back and forth about on not so much that I was against you but we were, I wanted to talk it through and that was uh, the sheath of returning yeah yeah you know? so Vaxeldon uh, in uh, Legend of Vox Machina uh, in Critical Role um, has a sheath of returning uh, and if you watch the anime the, I, or the, the, I keep calling it anime if you watch the uh, the, the cartoon um, uh, they, I don't think they 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 explained it at all. But you may have seen his daggers teleporting back to him after he threw them. And that's because he has a magic item. It's actually the sheath. And that way it's not tied specifically to the dagger itself. He can change out whatever magical daggers he wants. But he can sheath up to two daggers in it. And when he throws them, they return to him. So he can throw, 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 throw daggers. And... They just keep coming back. And he keep coming back. And realistically, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah feels like it should be overpowered but it's not see for me though and you know you you, you look at that and, and and this is kind of where our discussion went yeah. was you initially were like well that that seems really op and i'm like why what problem is it solving right you know and you when you when you look at it all it does is it puts daggers which do d4 damage mm-hmm. and have like a 20 foot throwing range right um on par with a bow because really, realistically, how many of us actually track ammunition? Is that one of the quickest quality of life improvements we make to the game is just not worrying about the number of arrows you've got? Right, right. You know? And so, ideally, if we're not tracking it for archers who have hundreds of feet of range, especially mm-hmm. if they're using like a longbow, are we really worried about tracking the daggers that this guy throws? Well, and I think that's one of the things that that we kind of have to address with this whole thing is that one component that you just said, if the thing that it's solving isn't a big deal mm-hmm. in the first place that he has to retrieve his daggers. If that's just annoying, it's yeah. not like a big mechanic. Yeah. Imagine as a storyteller, like you it's, throw your daggers, you I need think... to worry about, did it get stuck inside the monster or did it drop in the space? Right. If you missed, where did it land? Right. But I think the point that you had said uh, during our research, which I loved, was 
what uh what important plot reason or what important part of the mechanic that it's solving affects plot mm-hmm. or affects the story and if the answer is it doesn't then get rid of it it's get fine it, it yeah. does it's not that big of a deal move mm-hmm. on and I, that little that little nugget is enough to make the uh, i guess not yeah you know yeah you know is is it the fact that you guys have rare munition that like you want your guys looking at the last bullet in their clip and being like crap. Oh sure. Like at that point, no. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Like you know, I mean, and that that actually comes up a little bit like uh, in the the, the Chroma Conclave arc. It's going to be, I think, season two of the cartoon. Mm-hmm. Um, is somewhere along the way in the in the tabletop game, uh, Matt gave them as treasure like a single dragon slaying arrow, mm-hmm. and it does like forty six extra damage against a target as long as it's a dragon. Mm-hmm. Um. And so, I mean, yeah, that, that was part of their planning then. Then it was like, okay, we've got one of these. Mm-hmm. We better make this shot count. Right. And try to crit, you know. Right, right. Sort of thing with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, just normal arrows, why are we bothering? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Normal daggers, why are we bothering? Right, 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 right. So, how does this happen? How do we go from, it's a magic item, to, oh dear God. What is the... What is the what is that that avenue? Uh, usually for me, unforeseen consequences. That's fair. Unforeseen consequences. So, um, so explain that. Elaborate on your unforeseen consequences. So it's it's a bit like I was talking earlier about the uh, about the, the Lord of the Rings thing. You know, we we close our eyes and we go, what's going to look cool in our game? What's mm-hmm. going to um, what's going to make this player at my table feel more powerful? as a dragonborn or right. make them feel more powerful as a Khajiit archer, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. And and you think like, okay, well, cool, I can give them this thing that maybe like once a day they can do this extra thing right. on top of it. Um, and again, in our mind's eye, we see it cinematically. Mm-hmm. We're looking at the benefit to the story. We're looking at the benefit to the player's happiness mm-hmm. of, of feeling good about their character and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that is for me. Um, and we're not always thinking from the 200 different angles we need to be of what rules does this thing interact with. Right. Do they have something on their character sheet that we forgot about that will allow them to use that magic item plus their special ability to every single turn one shot an enemy or something like that, you know? Right, right. Um, and usually these things only happen once you've already got them in play. You give them the magic item, uh, and they go, oh, it does this? Yeah, it does this. It's like, oh, that's cool. Can I use it with this special ability? And you're like, yeah, I don't see why not. Cool, okay, this combos with this and combos with this, and I get plus 27 to that, and I auto-crit. And you're like, wait, 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 no. No, that's not – oh, boy. So uh, a, a simple thing, a, uh, a guy was given a staff of growth. Now, okay. it doesn't make you grow. Mm-hmm. It can just extend. Kind of like the old D&D cartoon where the guy's staff could, could extend out to a ridiculous line. Or the sure. one girl's staff. I'm sure. sorry, okay, girl's yeah. staff. Uh, and so it could go from being just like a, you know, a, a, a five foot, you know, or a four foot half, uh, all the way out to, or com- compress down to one foot, um, or could extend out to, you know, uh, you know, let's say 10 feet. 10 or, you know, could become a 10 foot pole. Whenever needed, right? Doesn't seem like it would be that big of a deal, right? Mm-hmm. Except if you're like, hey, uh, can I make an acrobatics check and put it underneath my foot? 
and 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 use it to push me up ten feet because it can extend and it extends instantaneously, right? Yeah. yeah so yeah. Uh, that puts me ten feet up whenever I want to be ten feet up, and that puts me above targets. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. And and the math starts rolling from there. Yep. You know, or it extends and contracts in an instant, meaning I can do it whenever. Oh, so it doesn't take me a bonus action. Great. I'm going to press buttons at distance. Mm-hmm. I'm going to check for traps at a distance. I can, I can always, basically like a blind person, snap, 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 snap as I move forward. Yep. You know. Yep. Or, or you make the excuse of, well, without force, you can't, it extends on its own, meaning whenever it extends that distance, it'll just extend and stop. Great. I'll, um, I'm going to use that into the darkness. Oh yeah, so I can so I can tell how far, far things something are is away. away. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and and or if the hole's actually deep or anything like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. So suddenly it's like, great, that just you know, it's starting to remove. Now that's the unforeseen that we can't calculate the number of things that they're going to use it for. Yeah. 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 Uh so the other one, as mm-hmm. kind of what I was talking about earlier, was yeah. the rule of cool thing, where yes. like you let something happen once and then all of a sudden it just it just goes out of hand from there. Yeah. Because uh, it's like, uh, Knox in the, Knox in the box is saying in the live chat, he says, uh, you know, you were thinking constructively when you made the item. Yes. Your player was thinking destructively when they used it. Yeah. Um, and that's not, and I, 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 I wouldn't even say that in a derogatory way. Like mm-hmm. the player was thinking destructively mm-hmm. because I think in certain game systems, you know, D and D being one of them, you almost need to mm-hmm. because of its combative nature. Right. You know, because of its tactical nature, you need to find the edge. You need to find, you know, most of your goal is destroying, you know, overcoming obstacles, destroying your enemies. Yep. And whatnot. And so you all you need to think destructively on things. Mm-hmm. You're not thinking about things you can make. You're thinking, how can I exploit this for a tactical advantage? Yep. You know, and that's, I think it's, that's perfectly viable. Yeah. But it is a thing that happens. And that's how one of these situations happens, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh. Um, I actually, uh, had considered, uh, a few times, uh, situations like that when I was presenting my D and D game and bringing things up and had to think around them. Like they were already like, whatever it is, is already in use with something. So you'd have to mm-hmm. destroy something to be able to use it as something else. So like the, uh, the rods that I had for the ship, mm-hmm. uh, um, v- Vampa's ship. His mm-hmm. airship that he had, he was actually using immovable rods in unique ways to move an entire ship oh, through the air, okay. and I, that's how he was flying. I wasn't he wasn't using any other magic beyond that. Huh? Yeah. Interesting. Yep. <laughs> but if you wanted them, you'd be taking the ship <laughs> apart, basically. Heatsink says, "Y'all sound salty for creative use of things." You know, we do, we do, but I, it's I, a little bit of that. It's a little bit of that, but at the same time, I think it's the it's that uh, it's that error that we talk about that is still stuck in the back of our heads of us versus them. Yeah, but it's yeah. it's not the aggressive side of it. it's the ah oh, crap I didn't think about that. It's so for me. I mean, it's it's not. It's not that I don't want my players to be creative. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not salty that people use things in creative ways. Right. What I think really gets me is um the feeling of being unprepared and blindsided by things. Okay. Um and I think you know there there's a big difference between I used an item in a creative way to solve a problem mm-hmm. and I am going to use this thing 
every single opportunity to resolve every single problem I can, like a magical Swiss army knife, and you will never be able to challenge me ever again. Because I have this thing. Because it is then, now the ultimate item. Exactly. And that's, and that's where we're, we're, you know, the, the, the magic item destroyed my game. This is not a magic item destroyed my plot for a session. This is, oh boy, I need to do something about this quick because it solves a lot of problems. Very easily. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm watching the fight go on in our live show chat. What about be, uh, be fans of your players? You can't weaponize that phrase. <laughs> That's awesome. And well, yeah, I mean, but but I think he's got a point. You know, I mean, you want to be fans of your players, but at the same time, um, at least from from my perspective, okay, when when things like this have happened at my table, um, you have to remember that the storyteller is a player too. Yeah. Okay. And okay, you want to be fans of your players. You want your players to feel powerful. Players love feeling powerful. As long as your players are having fun, that's great. That's a good time. Mm -hmm. Let chaos reign if your players are having a good time. With the exception that if your storyteller is no longer having a good time, Mm -hmm. and if you have utterly ruined the spirit of his plot and derailed the game, and you're not playing the story anymore, you're just playing how can I screw the storyteller over by clever use of game mechanics... I mean, it's, it's Mary suing the plot. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a line there. Mm-hmm. And when the storyteller is no longer having fun and they have to throw out half of their stuff because, you know, a mistaken item got added to the game that you found a clever loophole with. Well, know? I think it also starts to, it forces the player, it forces the storyteller to change the whole tone of the game from, you know, this is a challenge. Now I'm going to have to make the challenges something else. Mm-hmm. And now it's no longer a game of, of, of plucky individuals trying to make their way through a story and, and feel challenged to gods or elite special forces who are basically going on a ice cream run all the time. Yeah. But now the problem is, is that the, you have to recraft the whole story to say, okay, you went on this ice cream run and come back to emotional problems and stress and and your boss hating you because you did the job a different way and so now it's all political and social and a completely different story it's not fun for anybody at that point yeah i mean if that's the story they want that's cool but at the same time they might all be like why do we keep this thing yeah you know if i'm using a tactical nuke every single game to solve every problem Eventually, it doesn't solve the problem. It creates a new one. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And you end up starting to do, uh, oh, God, I can't think of uh, Invincible. Mm-hmm. Now you have to tell the story like Invincible, yeah. where it's it's more about the people than any of the fighting or the action, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah. So that I guess that turns us to the end of this is... What do you do? Yeah, once you have this power, how do you start managing it? Once Pandora's box is open. And and you did a great job of basically compressing everything we saw into some direct points. All right. So, so I'm going to let you hit each one of these, and we'll, we'll talk each one. I think we've got five different ways we can do this. Okay. All right. All right. First off, communication. Always. Okay. We, we Communication is always key. You have an honest discussion. 
out of character about the item and maybe even agreeing to tone it down for the betterment of the game, okay? Um, as a collaborative game, if all parties are not having fun, and that includes the storyteller, you're doing it wrong. It's the only mm-hmm. way to do a game wrong. Yeah. You know? Um, it's the only time your fun is wrong is when your fun is not universal at the table. Correct. Okay. And that everyone recognizes everyone else's. Exactly. If you're sitting at a table and one person's like, I'm having a great time, why aren't you? That That's not... That's not mutual fun. Yep. That's not cooperative. So we, we come to like the, the assumption of friendship at the table. Yep. Um, you know, and look, everybody wants to look out for everybody else's fun. Um, if you just say as a storyteller, if you've got that trust at your table and you say like, I made a mistake putting that item in your hands, I either need to tone it down because of the unforeseen implications of it. Um, or maybe I just need to retcon it and put it, you know, uh, give you guys a different item or something like that. Well, um, and, and I think that steps right into the second one, which is the ability to do retconning. Yeah, retcon. Yeah. You you have the ability to, through discussion or agreement or just it, a fiat move that yeah. you do as a storyteller. I would which say can fiat be a thing. move. It doesn't even have to be – like, communication's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting your players to agree to it is good. But you're the storyteller. Don't be afraid to just be like, guys, I'm pulling it. Yeah, that wasn't intended. I'm making this change because it's hurting the game is a great thing to say. Yeah, it's a yeah. simple way. It still continues the communication, but there's nothing to say that you have to do that. I think in you know, even if it was a short, like one shot, maybe three episodes that you'd made a mistake, pull it, mm-hmm. retcon it, get it out of there. It's it's fine. Your game will go on. Yeah. I know a lot of people will wring their hands over these two things of like, oh, I can't just pull it. But yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. It, it and it'll be fine. Yes. Communicate with your players. Don't be a jerk about it, but yeah. just be like. I really feel like there were some unintended implications there. I need to fix this. Yep. Yep. All right. Now, for those of you who do want to handle things in game, mm-hmm. we've got C, the plot complication. I loved your uh, use it as a key. Uh-huh. I think that is a great way. So you force it to go into a slot or or lock it in some way or use it up. Um, it's the It's a battery. It's a key. It's mm-hmm. it's a component. It is now in some way consumable. Correct. And what do you know? It needs to be consumed for the next part of our plot, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where uh, you guys need to get to this next dimension or whatever um, to find where the secret treasure for this thing is mm-hmm. for the next big part of the plot. Um, well, wouldn't you just know it? The magic sword that you've been slaying everything in one hit with mm-hmm. is actually the key that goes into the lock for the door for the interdimensional gate. You've done a great job charging it. Now it's ready to go they, in. Yep, they destroy each other on contact, but the gate is open. Yep, you've, you've just locked the gate open. Great yep. job. You know, and, and I think that is a way for them to possibly take care of it, but I think it also comes to the maybe we don't open the gate. Maybe we figure a different way to open the gate. Mm-hmm. Can we replicate this thing? Can we do something else with it? Yeah. Can we can we drain the power from it before it goes in there yeah, and well, use it for something else? Because players don't like letting go of power. No, and no, and, no, and no. understandably. Yeah. I mean, if you had a magic god-slaying sword, would you want to get rid of it? No, no of course not. You no, know? No. Uh, you know, so no no shade at the players, but, you know, be, if you're going to deal with it in-game rather than out-of-game, be prepared for your players to look at it and go, mm, no, you gave us a choice and we choose to keep the overpowered item. And I think the last one, which I think is often going to – is probably going to get us the most raised eyebrows from the community. Mm-hmm. Just let them keep it. Just let them keep it. Whatever. Sometimes it's okay for your players to be powerful. Yep. Not everything has to be a struggle. And if everyone's having fun, let 
them obliterate a few scenarios. Yeah. Adjust accordingly. I, I, one of the things that, that's literally bolded on our document is something we will be talking about once we get it into the sheet, and that is balance is a crutch. It yeah. doesn't, your games don't have to be balanced. Your players don't, your characters to each other don't have to be balanced. The characters don't have to be balanced to the enemies. That's, that doesn't make anything work right. And yeah. you're trying to make that balance isn't going to work. We'll get to that later. So there's nothing wrong with them keeping something that's doing something crazy. It's, um, it, it's, it's a lot about scope and scale, honestly, yes. when, when yes. it comes down to it. Um, if you, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of discussions of like, you know, oh, well, you know, this, this just allows players to like walk through walls. How do you, how do you challenge them with dungeons if they can just walk through walls? Like, you don't. Mm-mm. At a certain point, you, walls stop being obstacles to your god slaying level dun- Dungeons and Dragons characters, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. You can't challenge them with things like pit traps and walls and overland travel. Mm-hmm. It, it just, if, if your characters are are powerful enough that they could go into the abyss and punch Tiamat, mm-hmm. then you're not going to challenge them with some random encounter bandits on a one hour trip down a rural road. Nope. You know you've got to give them something that is that is a lengthier, longer challenge. Give them god level challenges. Mm-hmm. You know if that's the power level they're at. Okay, so now you've got this overpowered item and they can slay anything that isn't a god. I guess their next opponent is a god. Yeah. And they're gonna have to manage that. Okay, you know, and and maybe that's because they're high profile enough now that they have that. Mm-hmm. The gods have taken notice. The gods have taken exception to this. Mm-hmm. The gods feel challenged. Exactly. So they're going to rub them out. Okay, maybe that's your next plot. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe now they want to get rid of the thing. Oh, good, they're solving the problem for you. There you go. Now we can go back to bandits and walls. Yeah. Yeah. But. Like, I've seen this a lot in Savage Worlds discussions. Yeah. And this is a great design philosophy that, like, I, I've really glomped onto. Mm-hmm. Um, is, you know, you see discussions of, 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 and this isn't so much like magic items breaking the games, mm-hmm. but just concerns about power in general. And, like, uh, one discussion I remember seeing was like, you know, if, if my character, if one of my, one of my players takes, three different edges and buys a specialized piece of equipment in this one specific combat situation, they can do this move, this move, this move, and this move, and then roll an obnoxious amount of dice worth of damage. Doesn't that trivialize combat encounters? Sure. Sure. In that one very specific instance that you that you just outlined, sure, it does trivialize the combat encounter. And you know what? Good for them. They should. They absolutely should, because listen to what you just said. They spent three advances on it, mm-hmm. three edges, mm-hmm. and a specialized piece of equipment, and this only ever happens if they can make this situation happen in such a way that they can unfold this thing. Yep. If they do that, if they spent all those resources and time building the character to do that, boom, let them. Yeah. They won. If you're, if you're, if the character is literally only good at one thing, mm-hmm. sniping, uh, Casting specific types of magic, uh, you know, a, being a tank. Yeah. You know, great. That's what they're really good at. Mm-hmm. So what? Yeah. So I guess, I guess what I'm, what I'm getting at with this, with this part here is like, check and see if your item is actually breaking your game or if it just breaks a very specific situation in your game. Mm-hmm. And if it's just a situation, maybe let them do it a couple times, you know? 
Yeah. It's awesome to let them be like, I hold the magic sword aloft, say the words, and smite him, and one turn later, wham, the enemy's gone. Yep. You wanted it to be an epic, epic fight, but you know what? Everybody at the table's high-fiving right now. Yep. That's a good moment. Yeah. The other thing that, that I always uh, like is the turnaround on that is, if they're doing that enough, that draws attention. Mm-hmm. Both good and bad. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, it takes them to the next tier of things. Mm-hmm. If they become a challenge to the gods, the gods will take notice. Yeah. Or they'll start asking them to do things. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, we've got followers, but they're not as good as you. We've got, I've got this problem. Yeah. And you're going to go solve it. Mm-hmm. Or else that thing is going to get pulverized because you're useless to me. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Yep. You know, or guess who gave that to you? <laughs> you know, kind of a thing. I always like that concept behind it. Mm-hmm. So we do have some questions. Unless you got something else you want to throw at this. Just, just the last, lot, the last final thought is oh, yeah. it's okay to give them a super shiny hammer that's really, really good at pounding in nails. There you go. Okay. Just make sure that nails are rare and special and not the focus of your whole campaign. Yeah. Or the, or as I like to put it, the nails literally feel like them going to dinner. Yeah. It, it's there to connect to another point. Yes. So it, let it go to the side. It's let not it that go big to of a side. deal. Yep. So. All right, questions. Yes, we have lots. Uh, Nevum's got a question. Oh, no, I've realized I've given an item to the destroyer in the game. Is it okay to remove it from the game? Simply put, yes. Yeah. 100%. Absolutely. How uh, how can I downgrade its effect and avoid its disastrous effects? Uh, Honestly, the best thing you can always do to any kind of an item, uh, if you catch it early enough, you could make it limited. So, like, there's only so many charges in it. Yeah. Um, Two, you can have... (laughs) I had, I take this back. I had one that I read that was brilliant. The players got their hands on something that was super powerful. Uh-huh. They knew they could use it once a day, kind of a thing. But that's what it said. Like the rules stated as such. Yeah. So after they used it, an imp literally shows up and says, "Thank you very much. I'll be taking that now." What? Uh, you're you've you've had your one use. Please hand it over. Uh-huh. Well, this is mine. It's not how this works. It gets used once per day. Now it is mine, and it goes somewhere else, and somebody else will use it once. Ah, uh, yeah. And they're like, <laughs> but but wait, like, but please hand it over. Let's not make this a scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was like, like right in the middle of a fight. Like, everybody, there's still shit. Like, there's a bad guy literally holding off to one side, and he comes to rush, and he said, I, I'm doing, they're like, uh, I go do this hard move. The imp literally puts up his hand and stops him in mid-move. Everything over there is frozen. I said, please hand it over. Oh, my God. <laughs> and you're like, this imp is now a new problem. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. So, yeah. the Things like that where you can you can literally sh- take something completely out of play if you really need to. Yeah. And yeah. show them something far more dangerous. Um, as far as, like, downgrading its effects and avoiding disastrous effects, I, I like... I think your first move should be communicate out of character because right, it's right. it's an out of game problem really. Yeah, is really when it when it boils down to it, it's not a game problem. An out of game problem should be solved out of game. Yes. Um, and so I think probably your best place to do is look at what two rules are intersecting that allow them to do stupid stuff with it, mm-hmm. and um. I say stupid stuff. They know to do shenanigans. Shenanigans. Is what I meant. Yes. Shenanigans. Sometimes uh, very creative. To, to cause shenanigans. Not not a derogatory thing. Just shenanigans. Um, and just try to tweak one of those rules. Yeah. See, like you know, if if it gives advantage, and then you know, someone saying like, well, anytime I have advantage, I can do more other stuff. Maybe not make it give advantage. Maybe give it like a plus five or something. There you go. You know. There you go. Um. 
Grab the next one. All right. So, uh, Subject24, one of our new Patreons. Yeah, woo, woo, woo. Um, is there a way to introduce an amazing artifact item, uh, that is to, that is used by the player and controlled by the DM without the players feeling like it isn't usable? Uh, that way the player feels powerful with an amazing weapon artifact, but the DM has a peace of mind because the player isn't now completely broken. Um, the only things that I can distinctly remember like this, uh, was there was a, uh, sword, uh, that had spell effects. The difference was, is the DM made it intelligent. And so it decided when the spell effects went off. So it was always a negotiation Hmm. between the wielder and the storyteller. So it was its own plot. Like what it basically did was it, he, he, he inserted it because he wanted the fighter to role play more and they weren't. And so he gave them a weapon that could do some magical things. And now the, they had to literally like during combat have a discussion with the sword. Mm -hmm. Like I want you to do lightning. Dude, we're inside. This isn't going to work. What do you mean it's not going to work? Go ahead and hit him. No, I'm dead serious. This isn't going to work. Like, <laughs> don't you know anything? No, you're a big dumb fighter. Let's not do this right now. Just swing. Right, just keep swinging. Right. You're, just, doing, just keep swinging. You're, you're doing, doing great, amazing. sweetie. You're doing amazing, sweetie. And then like the, the bigger fight of like he was fighting this big bad guy and he was like wanting him to use his blood drink effect. And uh, he's like, no. Why? Because I think he's stronger than you and he might take me. Like, oh. <laughs> like, uh-oh. <laughs> Like, possibly losing the sword to the big bad evil guy. Yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah. So, I think you can do stuff like that. At the same time, you've got larger, quote-unquote, magical artifacts, like a ship, mm-hmm. right? Where you don't necessarily lose control as the DM, because they can use it. But on the other side of it, you have things can break down. There mm-hmm. can be issues with it, you know, or finagles that have to happen. But it does get them from point A to point B, and yeah, they yeah. have the ability to upgrade and do other things to it. But it's still temperamental, you know. Yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha. So uh, I, I actually really liked how um, kids on bikes handled this, mm-hmm. um, where the the superpowered item was not an item; it was the superpowered character yeah, in the group. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was a uh, not controlled by the DM but controlled by all of the players collectively. Different aspects. They each got an aspect and got to essentially role play how those aspects all mm-hmm. went into yep. the, to the middle. And then you could come to a consensus of like, should the character use this power now? Yeah, okay, they do. You know? Right. Um, therefore, it's never in the hands of just one person. It's in the hands of everybody. Yep. Um, I liked that. Uh, I think that's prob- for for me, just for my tastes – Something like that is better than the DM handling it mm-hmm. for two reasons. The DM is already handling so much mm-hmm. um, that also now I have to babysit your powers too is just feels like extra stuff that I, I don't want to be dealing with. Mm-hmm. I'm not thinking about when your character can use their powers. I'm thinking about all the things my NPCs are doing, what's going on in my plot, what I'm going to do next, and how I'm going to react to all you guys. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Um, That's good. Also, like you mentioned earlier, you know, some players you want to encourage their role play, you know, um, and by giving it to them, it all it brings the the entire group, the entire table one step in to, mm-hmm. you know, pulls pulls them towards role play. Yep. Um, collectively, even yep. if they're not role playing their own character, they're still all thinking about what their aspects of the super part character are. Yep. So yep. I, I like that. It. I like that. 
You want to grab the next one? Yeah, or- so Tim Saucer uh, asks, what is the best game-breaking item you've given away, and what is the worst? Ooh. I really had to think about this one. Um, You're going to have to say it, because I'm, I'm having to go through my lists in my head. Yeah, so uh, I, I tend to be a little stingy with loot. Mm-hmm. Um, be- and not to, not for a bad reason, I not, would say. Not not for bad reasons. I I'm always really gun shy with. Uh, you don't want it to feel random. I don't want it to feel random, and I don't. I I am very afraid of game breaking items. Well, I'll I'll just say it. I'm very afraid of introducing an item that breaks the game. That's fair. That's um, fair. especially like in Dungeons and Dragons, like it was always constant like cold sweat of like crap. I can't give you guys any more treasure because if I do. You're just going to become too powerful, you know? And you were already mm-hmm. smiting stuff that I intended to be challenging for you, etc. So I, I I tend to be very stingy with loot because of that. And I tend to also run narrative games. So yes. loot really isn't the focus as much. Mm-hmm. That said, that's my disclaimer. Um, Best game-breaking item I've given out is the Dragon Shouts that the Mad Elf's character Tristan can use. Yes. Um, in Savage Worlds, he can spend a Benny mm-hmm. to re-roll any power, uh, the damage dice of any power that has the fire trapping. Right. Okay, so any of his fire spells. Um, and he gets to add plus two to the roll if he, if he re-rolls the damage. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't even, ha- doesn't even have to be a bad roll. No. He can just spend the Benny and re-roll it for the extra plus two mm-hmm. on top of it. True, true. He's got a second ability that piggybacks off of that one. And this is above and beyond the edges that were, like, allotted to his character. So this right. is a special benefit. Yeah, yeah. Um, two Bennies, I think, just to use the burst? Not burst. Blast? Template? Uh, it's the the cone. Oh. The fire breath, yes. essentially. yes. Uh, is the second shout. It's two bennies to use that, and he gets a plus two to the damage on it. That's not bad at all. Yeah, it's really good, actually. It's a free yeah. power, essentially, but he has to burn two bennies for it. Yeah. Uh, worst one uh, I've ever given away, and I, I hate to say it, but it's like the only one I could think of, really. And I don't want to say it's game-breaking. It's just that I have to constantly plan around it. And think about it. Is Sweeping Beauty. The broom. The, the, uh, the broom. The broom of flying that, that uh, our party's rogue has, Lara yeah. Um. And it's just simply because it allows flight, and therefore I need to plan my encounters in three dimensions instead of two. Yeah, and and you also have to listen harder for movement. Yeah. Like, how are you moving right now? Yes. Are you off the ground? Are you moving horizontally? Are you moving vertical? It changes. Yeah. It changes the, the whole concept behind yep. that. Yeah. No, yep. I agree. I think the... I think the... The worst wasn't mine. I remember a a game. I was in a game, and somebody had gotten a uh, a quiver that basically, when you put an arrow into it, mm-hmm. you now could continue drawing that arrow. Okay. So they got like a plus five magical dragon slaying arrow. Worse. Oh god. Worse. They got a magical slot arrow, so they could put. A magical spell in their arrow, and then they just put fireball arrows in, or lightning arrows. arrows. Yep, yep. 
and that was it. Yep. That's all it took. Every and, arrow does 2d6 well, for the arrow, plus another 8d6 for the fireball. And they hawkeyed it. Yep. They, they, they never, because originally it was, well, you know, I've got different kinds of arrows, right? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, so as long as you have one of those arrows in there, it'll be fine. So now the person had literally a Hawkeye case of fireball, lightning, gas, whatever oh, wow. they wanted, and they were all ridiculously powerful. Oh, wow. If they if they got poisoned by somebody, they would steal the poison arrows and put one of those in there. Mm-hmm. So now they had, you know, night elf poison arrows and stuff. Oh, jeez. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Oh, jeez. The best sounds weird. So I was in a Rifts game. Mm-hmm. I should say I was running a Rifts game, and it was uh, surrounding Archie which was this super powerful AI that basically had gone dormant during the, like, teardown of the Earth. Okay, okay. Um, there was a bit of a write-up for it that was actually in the original Rifts book, mm-hmm. um, but not a ton of data, so you could you could use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Archie never left, like, because Archie was a super powerful AI. He basically would make copies of himself, lesser copies of himself, in really cool robots mm-hmm. and send them out, kind of like the synths from... Um, Oh, uh, Fallout. Yeah, okay. Um, it's very similar to that. So they, they looked like body doubles, but they weren't nearly as organic. They were just super high-tech androids. Um, so the group came across one of these, but it it wasn't programmed. Like, it got wiped somehow. And so they were constantly trying to figure out how they could use it. Mm-hmm. Because they could give it commands. Like short-term commands, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it would do those things. Like it would just do, like follow us, and it would follow them comfortably, mm-hmm. you know. Or like go sit down over there, and it'd go sit down over there. But they couldn't like give it like a two-day command set, sure, sure, you know, kind of a thing. You know, read this book and learn how to drive. It could do that, you know, and then they could tell it how to drive. But one of the most beautiful things about it was they went from wanting to try and figure out how to get one of them uploaded into it mm-hmm. to figuring out how to get it to learn longer and longer things. Oh, okay. And as it did, I just slowly gave it intelligence huh. of its own. Like it learned their language style. So like when they're like, okay, go over there and watch this area. Sure, whatever. And they were like, did you did, just sass Did me? you just sass and actually, he used your tone. What? Did he sound like me? No, his own voice. Uh-huh. But he sounded, you know, the same kind of tone, you know, started swearing, started doing whatever they would do. Uh-huh. Started drinking. Yeah, yeah, You yeah. know, and they thought it was one of the coolest mm-hmm. things ever because it became a party member of importance to them because it could lift things. It could it could do better than any of them at, yeah, like, yeah. maybe one thing at a time. Okay, but it cool. totally changed the arc of the game and the story. Well, cool. So, and it made them want to go find out where it was from. yeah. So that's yeah, no, my does, whole point. Yeah. Sounds great. So that's the one I can think of that was good, and it seems like it was bad, but it actually worked out really well. So, um, Agni, uh, what gives you as a DM what slash, drives you or drives you as a DM storyteller to introduce a strong magic item or artifact in the game? It's cool. It seems like a good idea at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For for me, like I said, I I, th- I think it's I think it's mostly about extending a person's uh, character arc. Um, you know, I, I gave the dragon shouts to, uh, to, uh, uh, Matthew's character because, uh, he's a dragonborn and I mean, yeah. what's, what's dragonborn without cool shouts to do, yeah. you know, we all played Skyrim. We all sure. scoured Tamriel for, we all, you know, scoured Skyrim for, for any dragon walls we could find so we can mm-hmm. get the third word for these things and be super powerful. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think mean, that's, that's mostly it yeah. for me. 
I've I've dialed back from giving plot items, and mostly for me, it's 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 quality, it's quality of life stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you guys hung out with the the dwarves or the uh, gnomes for a month, right? And and you know did all this stuff. Uh, you have goggles that help you with gnomish stuff. Great. That now makes those gnome checks easier. Mm-hmm. When I need them to be challenging, they still have a potential to be challenging. Yeah, sure. When it's important, but the rest of the time, you now have you now feel powerful when you make those rolls. Great. And every time there's something that comes up, you know, one of my players was like, "Okay, I'm putting on the goggles and opening the book. What, can, do I have anything that I can use those for?" Sure, make a roll. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and and it feels powerful and it feels good, but it yeah, it's absolutely. a quality of service for me because now that che- I know that check is 95 percent of the time going to be great. Mm-hmm. And we move on from there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it doesn't feel like it's just a gift. You know, like, I'm just telling you, oh, because you know this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an active participation thing. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And that's the thing. If you can quality of service yourself to a point, especially with games like Dungeons & Dragons, where as the levels progress, your players are going to get lazy. And they're going to use powerful things against not powerful problems because they can. Mm-hmm. And then... It's no longer convenient for you to have inconveniences. You want to get to the meat and potatoes of moments. So you have to figure out things that you can do for quality of service for you as the storyteller. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's that's the big thing for me is figuring out how I can handle that through effectively, and I'm going to put it in quotes, magic items. Yeah. Whether it's a person, place, or a thing. So. Agreed. All right. Uh, that wraps up our questions. Yeah. Uh, so next week's topic uh, is going to be another one of our storytelling one on ones, and we're going to be talking about writing plots. Uh, it's probably one of the biggest, uh, most intimidating things for new storytellers is you know how do you write interesting plots that aren't scripts? Yeah. You know, and, and that aren't railroaded. Yeah. Like what what components do you really need? What things do you need to back away from? And how do you find the right place? We've talked about it before. We've gone over this multiple times because it is one of the hardest things to do. Absolutely. And I think we're going to try and do it in a convenient way if we can. I, I think it'll be okay. I think yeah. it'll be okay. I think it's it's a lot of like we do this stuff unconsciously, but we're gonna we're gonna bring it to a thing. Anyways, you can find us on Twitter at st underscore conclave. Listen to us uh, or sorry on Instagram at st underscore conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night, seven PM Eastern time, mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave and join us upon our Discord. You can find the link to our Discord on our Twitter as well as storytellerconclave.com. Thank, we'd like to thank our Patreon members who help us out every month, especially our named members, Knox in the Box, Sam, the Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Mosin, Veteran, and Hulavu. We really appreciate everything you do. Um, our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google Music. And our outro music, which you're hearing right now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find that at freemusicarchive.org. And a big shout out as always to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much Thank for you. loving and supporting us. All of our friends who sat with us at our tables over the years to give us these great stories to share with you. And the magic items that we give you, they're way overpowered. <laughs> and you, every single one of our listeners. We love you so much. Love you guys. Good night. Good night.